good to be here today. I'm glad to see you here joining us for service this morning, whether you're in person or whether you're viewing us through Facebook. Our scripture reading at this time to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 28. First Samuel 28. We'll also skip from there to 1 Samuel 30. If you don't have a Bible available, if you have a Bible that's not the version we're using, you're welcome to use one of our Bibles. We use the ESV, English Standard Version. If you raise your hand, our ushers will bring a Bible to you that you can use for our service this morning. And let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Reading from 1 Samuel chapter 28 and then chapter 30. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shinnom. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. And his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium in Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? The woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, 
that you may, you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it, and she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. And then they rose and went away that night. Chapter 30, verses 1 through 20. Now when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziglag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink. They gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds and people, excuse me, flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. It's pause there in this reading. We're going to be looking at these two passages and some of the passages before it to get an understanding of God's word for this morning, and I trust that he will speak to our hearts in the message today. We're going to pause for a word of prayer. I'm going to ask you to remain standing with me as we pause for prayer. After prayer, our choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word to close our service. <clears throat> Let's bow in prayer, would you? Father, we thank you for your care for us. We thank you how we have seen that day by day, and we give you the praise and the glory for watching over your people. We praise you for your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you for allowing us to gather here today, and we pray that you would open our minds to your word so that we might understand what it means and how we might apply it 
these truths in our own lives. I pray that you would encourage us, you would challenge us to live wisely, to honor you, to be faithful in serving you, to put our faith and our trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We might honor him before you, that we might have life as you give it only through Christ. Eternal life comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. We thank you for your people. We thank you for your provision. We pray continually for um, your work in our hearts to help us in our mourning, in our sorrow, in our bereavement. Uh, we thank you for Brenda being back today and uh, allowing her to be, uh, come back safely, have a safe trip. We just pray, Lord, that you will continue uh, her testimony among her family in this time of her mom's death. And so, Lord, we ask that you just continue to minister to your people, those who are affected by sickness, those who have been impacted by death through sorrow, and uh, all of us as we go through the daily challenges of life that we might find your comfort and, and your purpose to keep us and to encourage and to challenge us to live godly, to live faithfully for you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Message is entitled today, A Crisis of Character. Crisis of Character. We see the contrast of two characters in 1 Samuel, mainly that of Saul, who was anointed king, God anointed him, and then we see who God had chose to replace him, David, and the contrast of their characters. I want to take us back in 1 Samuel to chapter 12 and set up what had happened. You understand the history of Israel and they had gone through a period of judges and Samuel's perhaps the last judge and a prophet as well. He led Israel and he led Israel at a time when they were tired of defeat by the enemy and they blamed it on their leadership. Some truth to that. But they decided we'd be better off if we were like the nations around us and if we had a king. You know, the grass always looks greener on the other side. And instead of relying on God, they decided they would, they would rely on something new, something different, something common, something that other people were doing. Let's just be like everybody else. And they didn't care or didn't realize or didn't care that they were acting in rebellion to God. God made them a special nation. God said that he himself would guide them. He would lead them. And he'd given them a law to show them how they were to live and to show them how they, they were to trust him and in him alone. They decided they wanted to modernize. They wanted to be like the times. and They didn't value God. Their desire for a king was rebellion to God. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 12. And so their leader, Samuel, addresses them about this and how God was going to handle this. In verses 13 through 15, we see that God goes along with their request and graciously gives them a king. I say graciously because he gives them, he chooses for them a king. We know it says in verse 12, When you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, this is Samuel speaking to them, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king, 
And now behold the king you have chosen for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. So God has set a king over them. But as a prophet, uh, Samuel wants to point out to them their sin and how they rejected God in choosing a king instead. Look at verse 16 through 18. Let me just read that. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So it says, Samuel prayed, and God sent thunder and rain. Now, if you know anything about the harvest time, it's when they want to get the things that are planted to, to, to take them out or to dig them up and to, and to harvest the land. And that's not really what's ideal for them during that time. But that's what God sent to show them the error of their ways. I want you to see this great lesson that God is teaching them in verses We just saw how God sent this rain and this thunder. And in response to that, look at the people's reaction, verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. So they recognized because of how God brought this judgment on them that they had sinned and turned away from the Lord. And they pray or ask for prayer to be forgiven. And this is Samuel's warning. I love us to see this, verses 20 through 25. Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. I like what he says. The word of God ministers to us there. He says, no, even though you have sinned, God is gracious. He says, don't be afraid. Don't fear God's ultimate judgment. He sent this to you so that you would turn and repent. Isn't, God good to know, isn't it good to know that God is gracious to us and some things that happen to us are, are, is God spanking but not his judgment? You know the difference? See, a parent spanks a child so they will learn to listen and not be overcome by evil and accidents and things that could happen to them or their own wrongdoing. He corrects their way, guides them away from their own desire and their own propensity to do evil. And God has bring this on them so that they would notice the wickedness of their way and turn from it. I got to pause here. You know, we're in September now, and, 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 and we get the heat and we get the cold, right? It could be 80 degrees. It could be 40 degrees in, in September. And our heat suffers from that, too. So our air conditioning, we can have our heat on, or we can go to have an air on. Stand up with me. I can't have you falling asleep. Because the heat is on. We open the doors a little bit to get a little air circulation. Amen. Say, Lord, help me stay awake and alert. <laughs> Amen. Sit down. I see y'all. First five minutes are the most dangerous times. People think I have a soothing voice. It's not to be a lullaby. It's not to put you to sleep but to keep you awake. So let's, let's give ourselves some attention as best we can. I'll try to be brief. Let's give attention. So God gives this warning to them so they see the error of their way and turn from that. And he's gracious to say, yes, you have sinned. God doesn't deny that they sinned. He doesn't say, oh, that's okay. It's okay that you've done wrong. No, it's not okay. You have sinned, he says, but don't fear because I'm gracious and I have something for you in this. God is good. He says, you have done all this evil. Look at verse 20. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. So it's not like you, you, you off the hook, you ain't done nothing. 
He identifies, yes, you've done all this evil. Then he says this, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. You know, we have this philosophy, uh, I'm going this far. It's amazing. No, God says stop and turn. Turn aside from, from the evil. He says don't turn aside from following the Lord. Continuing, continue to serve the Lord. Even if you've had that things that have happened in your past that you have done wrong, now is the time to turn from that and not turn from following the Lord. Amen? Then he says this, verse 21. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver. When we turn from following the Lord, we turn to what can't deliver. We turn to something else that we're dependent on, something else that we're trusting in that's not the Lord and it cannot deliver us. He says it's empty. It's empty. So he warns them. And then he promises, this is the prophet Samuel talking, he says, I will pray for you. I will be consistent and faithful in praying for you. I like the way he states in verse 23, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right. He challenges them again, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. One of the reasons why we sing and we come together as we worship and we praise is to remind ourselves of who God is and to remind ourselves of what he has done. Now, you might not know all the songs and you might not be familiar with every tune and you might find yourself going up on a note when you should go down and, and closing it when you should continue. You know, all those things, you know, you'll get that as you go along. But the words of the song and the, 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 the message of the song is to remind us who God is. So we'll remember what he has done for us. And it's easy for us to forget. It's easy to act like we didn't know that when we do know it. We need to be reminded. People think, well, why I got to go to church every, every Sunday? Why, why, why we got to do the same thing each and every time? It's because we need reminding. We need to be pointed to the Lord. It's easy for us to, to think that our safety is in the hands of something or someone else besides God. And that will be air in our thinking. So he reminds them, I'm going to keep praying for you. It would be wrong for me not to faithfully pray for you. Then he says this as he ends it. And you wouldn't expect, I wouldn't expect him to end a message like this. You know, I, I like when, when people talk to me, if, if they tell me, I like to, to, to end up on the good news, you know. Tell me the bad news, but end up on encouraging me. Well, he encourages them, but he encourages them not to do wrong. And he tells them the, the ramifications of what happens. He says, verse 25, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And he just ends like that, like drop the mic. He wants to land a message with them. God is gracious. God is forgiving. You have sinned. Don't allow this sin to, to catapult you into more sin. Because if you do that, God's judgment comes. You know, we... As human beings, we, we need warning. You ever work with somebody who, you know, you get demerit points for being late or get points for doing that or get points for doing that, this and that. And they'll tell you, man, I got, I got, I got X number of points. You're like, dude, you, a few more points and you're going to be out of here. You're going to be fired. Does that register with you? Next day, comes in late. It's, it's like it doesn't register. It means nothing. We, we are callous in our thinking. We tend to think because I'm okay now, I'll be okay if I just continue to do what we do. 
And God is saying, no, if you continue to do wrong, if you continue to ignore my warning, there are consequences. I think sometimes because we probably raise our kids that way, we, 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 we go through these experiences where we act like there are no real consequences. It's like, I don't know, maybe you're in that, that video game uh, uh, culture where, you know, you lose the game, you die, but you just start the game all over again and go for another one. And we think God works like that. Oh, he'll just give me some more points. He'll just let me start again. He'll let me keep playing this game with him. God says, no, the game's going to be over. The game will end. This is not a game. This is your life. And if you go against the Lord, he says, he'll sweep you away, both you and your king. So that's the message that Samuel had left with Israel before they went and chose a king, and God had chose for them a king. Now, let's call this message the crisis of character. I want to turn to 1 Samuel 15 and examine the character of Saul himself. What does the word character mean? Character, how we use it, what? How would we define that? When we talk about character, we're talking about what we truly are ourselves. In other words, we're really talking about the heart and that which pro is produced from the heart. Character is, could be spoken of that which you do when nobody else is watching. Who is the real you? If you're an honest person, and no matter what comes, you're going to be honest. You're a person of integrity. You're going to, to keep your word. If you're a hard worker, you are going to work hard whether the boss is looking or not. Whether you get paid extra for it or not. It's a part of who you are. And that's what character is. Who are you really? We can also be, we can often be fooled by the exterior, what we see on the outside. If a person dresses it a certain way or doesn't dress a certain way, we make certain uh, assumptions about that person, about who they are on the inside. We've heard the old adage, you don't, don't uh, 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 judge a book by its cover, but we often do. We, we, we need things to, 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 to help us see what is. You know, if it's, if it's sunshiny in the morning, which we haven't had for about a week, but if you wake up in the morning and the sun is out, you think, hey, it's going to be a nice day. You don't know that that's going to stay that way, that it might rain later on, but you, you, you have something that you go for. When you look at a person and, and, and you, you make a judgment about them, it could be true. It could not be true. What we're looking at is what we cannot see immediately and what's not always uh, apparent on the outside, a person's character. So we're really talking about what the Bible says is your heart. What's the true you? And how do you change the true you? <laughs> Only God ultimately can change the heart. We have a lot of programs, a lot of self-help things and uh, ways to try to in improve and get better. But ultimately, when it comes to our character and what it is we do, it is God who changes the heart. Let me say this, because we can change on the outside some things, but we can change for wrong reasons. But God is the one that impacts us and changes our heart and gives us that desire to do what is right. So I'll call character this. It's a heart for obedience. It's a passion for integrity. Deep within, that's seated within, it's, it's the foundation of who we really are. So in 1 Samuel 15, we see the story of Saul now is king. And I want to read verses 1 through 3, and then I'll walk through some of the other verses. And I, but I want you to see, in verses 1 through 3, we see God has given Saul as king a command to Saul. And here it is. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. 
<laughs> That's a pretty uh, powerful introduction. You are king, appointed by God. Now God's going to tell you something. Pay attention. Listen. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in, in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now, hold it. That's a long time ago, isn't it? God sees the character of Amalek have, have, as they have opposed his people. God noted that and takes issue with it, and he's going he's gonna to act on it. It's been a long time, but he's going to act on it. Galatians 6, it says, uh, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that's what he shall also reap. God is, is looking at individuals, in this case even a nation, that they have not repented and changed their ways. And now he's going to act. And he says this, now go and strike Amalek, verse 3, and devote to destruction all that they have. That's an interesting term you'll see in the Old Testament, particularly in 1 Samuel, devote to destruction. He's saying destroy everything and be devoted about it. Don't let up. Do not spare them, he says, but kill both man and women, woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now we can ask the question, wow, why would God do this? And we can actually answer that question, but what we need to start with is who is God? He's God, he is sovereign, he has the right to do as he pleases with his creation, and he is holy in all that he does. So it's enough for me to know God knows what he's doing, and he's doing what's right. And I don't have to second-guess him. I have to judge him. I don't have to stand in judgment of his actions. If I were, I would find that his actions fall in line with him and his character, and it would teach me something about his character. So here's the command. It's clear. It's direct. And Saul has the responsibility for carrying it out. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to understand it. But it's clear, it's direct, and it falls clearly on the shoulders of Saul to do what God had commanded. By the way, it's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not, hey, you know, I just kind of want to tell you how I feel about this. And you might want to maybe think about doing something about that. No, he directly gives Saul a command to act in an explicit way. So that's the command. We see what I call Saul's incomplete obedience in verse 7 through 9. It says, And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he so okay, fine, right? Check off part, right? He defeated the Amalekites. Verse 8, he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, uh, alive. Something wrong with that picture, right? He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. So he spares the king, kills all the people. Verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. That's a direct violation of what God said. No question, no debate. God told him not to do it that way. God was clear. God was direct. He was not misunderstood. What happens is Saul decided he, he knows something a little better. I got a better way of doing it. And God, I didn't quite see it your way. I didn't, I didn't like what that, what that would mean. And so I'm going to do it my way. Look at the Lord's response in verse 11. It's very interesting. He says, I regret 
God is speaking to Samuel when he says, I regret that I made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. So we see God's reaction. He uses the word regret. It's used a couple other times in this same chapter. So let's just take a look at it uh, here in verse 11. Also in verse 29, Samuel is warning the people. Actually, he's warning Saul specifically. And uh, Saul is, is begging for his consequences not to be what they should be. When you don't do what God says, and God says, okay, here's what's going to happen. And now Saul's like, oh, no, 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 please don't do that. And this is where the word regret comes up again. Verse 29, and also the glory of Israel, he's speaking of God, will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. It seems to, to, to kind of challenge what's said before, but what it's saying is that God doesn't turn away from his judgment. He is going to bring about what he said. Now, some people don't understand that because God is gracious. He is gracious. Here's the thing. You can't take his grace for granted. You can't act as if he will not do what he's already said that he would do in bringing judgment. He said, basically saying this, don't play with God. He ain't no man that you can force his hand, that you can manipulate. That you can somehow uh, get in discussion and sway him back towards something that he said he wouldn't do. So he uses that in that term. And yet again in the same chapter at the end of it in verse 35, Samuel didn't see, did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. It's not that God said I made a mistake. The God is saying, look, you, your character has shown you to be a person that I regret. I regret that you have sinned against me and did not live up to that level that I have for you. It shows that God has in the way that we would express in a, in a human way, emotion, and he cares. And he responds to wrong that's done. He responds to the fact that Saul has not done what he should have done, what God had commanded him to do. I want you to also look at Samuel's response in verse 11. In chapter 12, it says, Samuel, First <laughs> Samuel chapter 12, verse 11. I'm sorry. Where am I? First Samuel 15, verse 11. says, I regret that I've made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Two parts of his response. He was angry. Why would he be angry? Angry to see a rebellion against God by Saul knew that Saul had a clear message. He had given it himself to Saul. He says, this is what God says. Saul, listen to what God says. I'm speaking for the Lord. Now listen to me. And Saul decided he had a better idea. Samuel's angry that Saul has disregarded what the Lord has said. That's a right response. That's a correct response. Remember Jesus when he went into the temple and he saw people going against what God has said? And it says he overthrew tables in his anger. The Bible warns us about anger, and it's, it's one that we often 
let rule over us and, and we don't respond in right ways, but the Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. His anger is something that is righteous. That's why we have to be careful that we don't uh, show uh, anger that is outside of righteousness, but God is righteous. Samuel was angry with a man who had turned against God's commandment. But notice what he does in his anger. Second response, he was angry, but it says he cried to the Lord all night. He was angry because he knew because of the act of one man that judgment will come on God's people, the nation. Saul was responsible as king for his actions would affect the entire nation. And Samuel knew that. That's why he spent time sharing with Saul what he needed to do. And he knew that the nation would live a consequence as a result of what Saul had done. He cries out to the Lord. He, said, he cries out all night. <laughs> Let's skip forward a little bit. He says he cries all night. I don't know exactly what he said, but in chapter 16, verse 1, we get a sense. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Since I rejected him from being king over Israel. See, that's where God says, I'm not a man that I will go back on my word. I've rejected him. So stop crying to me. Some of us can pray over things that God has made clear that he's not going to do. And he says, in essence, stop that and honor what I have said. Saul's response to this whole situation is in verse 13. Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, well, uh -oh, back up a little bit. Another thing that, that, that Samuel does in his response, he gets angry. He cries to the Lord all night. But then it says in verse 12, he rose early to meet Saul. A man of God, he's going to confront the wrong that has been done. He's going to directly to Saul. Yes, Saul was king. But Samuel is the one to confront him because the word of God came from Samuel to Saul. And Saul, it says, rose early in the morning. That shows you how he sees the importance of this, doesn't it? As he meets with, as Samuel meets with Saul, Saul greets him in verse 13. It says, blessed be you to the Lord. I can just imagine Samuel said, don't be blessing me. I don't want to hear that. Saul goes into this church speech. He goes into the spiritual vernacular. He's, he, he's trying to make himself sound like he is something that he isn't. And Samuel, being a prophet, is saying, look, man, your heart is exposed. So it does you no good to use words to hide your heart. That's what words often do, don't they? Jesus said this. He says, it's, it's, it's not the mouth that you have to clean up because wrong words are coming out of it. He says, it's the heart that gives to the mouth what comes out. Our speech is not corrected by using different words. Our speech is corrected by having a changed heart. So he says to, Saul says to Samuel, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Oh, really? You have? Samuel confronts him. He says in the next verse, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? See, what Saul did was incomplete obedience. He did a partial obedience, and Samuel checks him on that and said, Look, incomplete or partial obedience is disobedience. 
It's one thing if he didn't know and wasn't sure, but the message, the word of God to him was clear and direct. It was given to Saul, and he was to act, and he was in charge of all that was done, so there was no excuse to pass out to anybody else. But, like what often is the case, Saul makes excuse. I wonder if we actually think our excuses have some weight before God. Maybe because we think that other people tend to listen to those that's if they're, they're, you know, believing them, that maybe that's how we think God is going to be. So he makes excuses to Samuel. Here are some of his excuses. Verse 15. What's the first word Saul says? They. They. They, he says, have bought them. Later on, he says, the people spared the best. Then he says, the rest, we. <laughs> you get that? The rest, we devoted to destruction. Isn't that what common what we do? They, we point fingers, it's, it's not me, it's, it's them. When, when it's the wrong that's been done, it's them. But the right's been done, it, we include ourselves. We have devoted the rest to destruction. I like Samuel's response. Look at verse 16. Just stop, man. Just stop right where you... Don't keep loading these excuses on me. Stop. Samuel's tired of it. He could take it no longer. He was not buying the excuses, and he's letting Saul know that he's not buying it. Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. So you're going to hear from the Lord. And he asked him a rhetorical question that we often do and we often have asked to us. And it's one that cannot really be answered. Don't you hate those kind of questions? <laughs> My kids used to tell me that I would ask those kind of questions all the time when they were younger in the house. But they ask because they are an honest question and they deserve an internal answer. They make you think. Verse 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? I can see Samuel asking that question in a long pause. Why then, Saul, did you not obey God? Can you see Saul's mind going? He's like, well... Uh, well, it, 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 it's not that I didn't obey because, you know, I mostly obeyed, but I kind of obeyed, and I want to obey, but them over there, and they did that. His mind is wrapped, is twirling around, the same thing ours does. And what he needs to do is just stop. Just stop. What's the real answer to that? <laughs> I have rebelled against God and turned away from him. You don't want to say that because that just sounds too final. That sounds too strong. But the reason why it sounds bad is it matches his action. And he doesn't want to be honest. The most difficult thing for us to do is to be honest about our own selves, to see ourselves as we really are. That's why we need the Word of God. We need people around us to help us see what we truly are. And Samuel is helping Saul see. Samuel is nothing but a mirror reflecting Saul's true character back to himself. So Saul begins to see what he really is, but he doesn't act in accordance with that. He continues to, 
to just ramble on, go through excuse after excuse, living in the same. As you read the story, you'll see that he just wants to kind of look good and make the best of a situation instead of total repentance. The difference in character, the crisis in character, goes with what we read in chapter 28. We see that when Saul came to a new crisis, now he's rejected by the Lord. He's no longer going to be king, but he's still sitting in that position, sitting in that seat. He goes through a great amount of jealousy for David because he knows that God is going to replace him. He's angry, bitter, he's jealous. All the things flood over him. You ever wonder why? We feel that way sometimes. Have we narrowed it down that sometimes we have simply not stopped to listen to God, to turn away from our own sin? The best friend in the world can tell us, look, listen to what God is saying. Focus on the you and that part of your interaction with God. What is it that God is speaking to you? Not to somebody else, but what is God speaking to you? Are you really listening to his voice? I'm going to let you put the two things together, but I want you to see this, is that when faced with a crisis, in chapter 28, we saw the story where Israel is coming under attack, and and Saul is nervous. He knows that the Philistines are are, are powerful and that they're, uh, 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 they're legitimate attack against the whole nation. And so what he does is he asks God. Let's go there. Let's go there. We can't miss this. Verse 20, chapter 28 of 1 Samuel. Verse 5, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, What do you think? Okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask God, what should I do? I'm in a mess. What happens? The Lord did not answer him. The Lord didn't answer him. Look, it comes a time when we turn away from the Lord that he says, I had enough of you. You know, people think I say this to be mean sometimes. But unless you understand that God's patience and his grace will not always be extended to you when you turn away from him, there comes a time when it's done. Unless you understand. See, me in my thinking, when I think about that, it just scares me to death. I'm like, Lord, let me never get to that point. He says, let me show you how. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. So here Saul gets to a point, and he comes to God, and he asks God, Lord, I'm in trouble. The nation is in trouble. What should I do? Silence. God's not speaking. God is in essence saying, you don't listen to me, I don't listen to you. My judgment is now coming on you, and you're feeling the weight of it. We don't like to tell people that anymore. We don't like to tell them that, hey, you don't know when your last chance is. You're playing a very dangerous game, thinking that God will always be there and available for you. And in fact, you have turned your back on God. That's what Saul did. And now he comes to God in his crisis, and he doesn't hear from God. So what does he say? Well, I got to, I got to. I got to find somewhere. I got to get some wisdom. And so he goes to a medium, a necromancer. These are the spirits. These are people who deal in the occult. They're people who try to drum up the dead to speak to them. The Bible warns us, don't get involved in that. Don't play with that. Don't, Don't touch it. That's why Saul had banned all these people from the land because he was trying to play like he was righteous and a good king. And so he kicked them out. But that wasn't his character. That wasn't his heart. You see your true character when the crisis comes. The crisis comes to Saul, and he can't hear from God, and so he goes to his backup. 
In chapter 30, we have a different thing. The crisis comes to David. David had put all of his people in Ziklag, the, the, the little suburb that uh, uh, the, king, uh, the king's son, the Philistine's king's son, had given to David. Say, hey, here's a little place you can stay. All your people could be headquarters there. And he found out that the Amalekites had come. David was, was gone out on his different campaigns, and the Amalekites came and destroyed their city and took all of their family, took all their goods, took everything they had, and burned down the city. David come, and his men come back to that city, and it's burned down. Now, I would imagine they don't even know where their people are if they're safe. And it says David's own men were about to turn on him. They were so mad at him, they thought of stoning him. It tells us, what does David do in that crisis compared to Saul in his crisis? If you look at 1 Samuel 30, it says in verse 8, verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You see the different response between Saul and David? Look at the next verse. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Saul goes to a medium. David goes to a priest. What happens? He says to Abiathar, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. Now the ephod is God's ordained way but discerning what God was doing and what God would have to say. The priest had that means, and David was asking the priest to use that. David inquired of the Lord. Remember, Saul inquired of the Lord. What did he get? Static, right? Nothing. David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? Three most important words in this whole passage. He answered him. He answered him. The righteous will cry, David wrote many times in the Psalms, and God will answer. You can't just pull a verse out of Scripture and bank on that if you don't belong to God. You're going to be like Saul. Left hanging. It's God's people that can bank on that. It's God's people in their distress who can cry out to God and God will respond. God will say, I don't hear that illegitimate person when they're trying to get me, when they have disrespected me, turned away from me, not obeyed me, not done what I've said explicitly to them, and now they come to me, they won't hear anything. But David, in his moment of crisis, he goes to the Lord and God speaks. Praise God for God's grace in our lives. Do you realize God had chosen David in a special way? And it symbolizes how he's chosen his son, Jesus. And it symbolizes how he has chosen each of us. Not because of anything that we are. Or any great purpose, not, not, not because of our greatness. God has chosen us, and his grace and his Holy Spirit is with us to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us. And even when we don't always do things that are smart or right, we saw that with David, didn't we? You know, when, when, when uh, Nabal uh, turned against David, David wanted to wipe him out. But thank God for the little fences, I call them, little fences and handrails, I call them. That's what Abigail was. She was a little fence to keep David from going further than he should go. She's a little handrail to help him through that struggle so he wouldn't lose his footing. God, by his grace, puts those in our lives. In the same token, none left for Saul. Saul had come to the end of his line, and God's judgment had come in his life. And Samuel announced what that judgment would be. We need to know that that happens in real life. We need to know that we can't keep playing a game with God. Don't think you're too young 
to act on this. Don't think that you're too young to see God work in that way. Don't think that you're too old. Don't think that you're too anything. But cry out to God and reach out to him. Say you want to be a part of his grace. The Bible says those who come to God, he will not <laughs> turn away. You say, well, what about Saul? God came to him several times. Saul turned away from the Lord. And God finally said, that's it. It's over for you. You're here today hearing what God has to say. I would beg that you would plead with God, that you would listen to God, be faithful to the Lord, serve the Lord fervently. How do you do that? By trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and walking in his ways, obeying what he is saying in his word. Father, we pray that you would speak to the heart of your people today, they would heed that warning. The warning that came from Samuel when he warned the people about taking the king, that they needed to serve you faithfully. And if they didn't, that you would sweep them away. Pray, Lord, that we would embrace what you have to say. We would be obedient to you. So in our crisis, we could hear what you have to say. We could hear your comfort. We could hear your counsel. While we can hear it, Lord, right now, may we give attention to it. May we not leave this place if we're struggling with that. And we talk to someone today to understand what it is you're saying and how you want us to think and how you want us to live in our own lives. We pray, Lord, you will help us to humble ourselves in obedience to your word. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.